Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. It sounds fairly obvious, but there is a quote that says, without customers, there is no company. So customers are the heart of your business. And today I'm chatting with Katie Tucker, who helps hundreds of businesses understand their customer better and is the author of Do Penguins Eat Peaches, a great book that will help you discover and understand more of what your customer wants. Katie, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Nicole, for having me on. And uh, yes, this, uh, this is the Penguins. I know, I know. I have the I have the book very proudly sitting beside me as well. And you, this is the second time that you've been on. You were one of my very original guests. But we're going to be a bit more specific on a couple of topics that we're talking about today. For those people who don't know you, can you explain a little bit more about your background? Yes. Yeah, so I'm Katie, and I run a consultancy called Product Jungle, and I support businesses, big and small, to understand their customers better also known as uh, market research or customer discovery. It depends like what kind of you know big companies they have jargon words for these things. But ultimately, it comes down to understanding customers so you can build and create stuff they want and ultimately buy, which obviously keeps you in business. So that's why it's so essential. And I think often missed when people are exploring business opportunities. And so talking about business opportunities, whether you're starting or growing your business, how do you know it's going to resonate with your customer? What do you recommend that you do? Yeah, so I always um, recommend starting with some good old desk research. I think that can be an easy place to start for businesses. And I think a lot of people forget and not in the habit of opening up Google, typing in your, you know, whether it's candles. I think there's an example in the book, Nicole, around soya wax candles. And you think that there isn't somewhere on the internet where there's a big report on that but there there is if you click on you know and just look at okay if you're thinking of um, creating a candle business or moving to into a new sector start just with the internet with like candles trends 2024 customers you can even put some a region keyword in there and just see what comes back and i think that's just a good like overview of um there's lots of information out there big consultancies big think tanks that have got bigger teams than you will have more resources on this They'll be able to do surveys at a larger scale, just a smaller business won't just won't have that capacity. So really do look at piggybacking off those free often and high value reports because you'll always start, I suppose, there's always it always comes from a bit of an intuition or a gut feeling about, oh, I think, you know, maybe I should um, create this particular product. So and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we need starting points. But what we don't want is just to go all in without doing any checking. So definitely that kind of high level research, which I call desk research to start with. And then I think it's about getting closer to the audience that you want to serve. Like who are those people that you want to be buying those products and setting up 
you know, just 30 minute chats or conversations like in the in the market research kind of lingo, we call that customer interviews, but you can just call them customer conversations, really just trying to explore some of their behaviors and, and habits around whatever product it is you're looking to create. So those would be the, the starting points. There's lots of other methods, but I definitely start with like high level research and then actually talking to some real people and not just relying on surveys, which can be great, but what we don't want to see, Nicole, is people just saying, oh, I'm thinking of doing, creating a new uh, homeware business and I'm going to do, you know, hand squished uh, candles from, you know, Timbuktu. And people say, oh, yeah, no, that sounds like a great idea. You know, they click on yes on your on your survey and then you go off and then you, you spend lots of money getting loads of stock and then no one buys it. So there's a careful balance business. And I see a lot of businesses doing that, thinking, oh, oh, but I thought they wanted this. They said they wanted this and now no one's buying it. And it's a shame. Yeah, I think really reaching out to your customers, particularly, I mean, when you have an existing brand, it's obviously it's easier to get that research. And I think sometimes brands don't use it enough in terms of getting the feedback, getting the research. And I was before in a in a retailer and we really started to do, it was for a older customer and they started to really change the style of, of the clothing and make it a lot younger and, but didn't bring the existing customer on the journey with them or didn't kind of get more feedback from them about it. And it just, you know, the sales tanked. They had gone into an administration in the first after that, but they ignored the needs of their existing customer at their peril. But what about, and you talk about in the book about quick and dirty testing, about, you know, finding out how do you have a viable product? So how can people understand if they have a product that people are going to like? Yeah, I think there's, um, I list um, a few different ways in the book and, you know, we can pick out a few uh, here today. I think there's simple things like wait lists, you know, maybe you're an existing product seller or maybe you create them yourselves and you're thinking about a new uh, a new product to add to your offering. I think using a wait list is a great idea. So having like maybe a visual or coming soon or, you know, and you, what you want to do, you want to be testing some kind of um, appetite for it. So maybe you've got a newsletter, you've got a mailing list, you could use mock ads for this. Like if you're knowledgeable around meta ads or Google ads or get someone to do this for you, but just trying to test out like that interest, I suppose, before anything. And you can do this without having actually created anything per se. And you always want to have a call to action. Like you want to have the customer having to do something. So, you know, a small effort is great. Like just putting your email on a list, for example, um, on the waiting list, you know, even sharing a bit more detailed information about yourself, but it shows like the customer that shows some kind of intent. They're willing enough or interested enough to click on something and fill in a few details to be informed as and when this particular product might come online. And you can do that at relatively low, low cost. You could also do like a small sample. And I know probably Nicole, you know better than me that, you know, different producers will, you know, have a minimum size, sample size of something. So, you know, if you can do a first run of something like smaller so you can kind of reduce that risk, find somewhere where you can, yeah, you're not, you know, you're not making like 10,000 cardigans, have a smaller, and I'm not sure how flexible some of the, the manufacturers are on this, but I think that's always worth having a few prototypes as well. You could do some in-person events, maybe just invite, I was working with a, a jewellery brand 
recently we were discussing a collection that she had and you know we decided to have a smaller collection and like invite quite a few people a bit like a Tupperware party I suppose but you're just yeah. like you know you you make an event of it you don't necessarily stay in the room but you just get them feel the products and you know just give some feedback on a on a smaller sample sale I think that's always a good way to go and another one is like once you've kind of validated a little bit that there's an interest you know whether from the desk research from previous sales on your site if you have any data it's a similar product, but a different color or, you know, like a slightly different model. There's another thing that I think is really useful. And there's an example in the book of this about a company creating a new rucksack, like a new bag. And just there's a game you can play with customers if you have like a small group that you can invite uh, either online. It's like buy a feature. I don't know if you know that uh, that one. I've not seen that, but I did read that in your book. Explain that a little bit more to me. Yeah. So, for example, the, the, the example is the rucksack. So a rucksack, if you think about it, could have so many different facets, like you could have zips or you could have buttons, you could have water bottle, hold it one side, the other side, you could have adjustable straps or not, you could have straps and like an over like over the shoulder type thing. There's so many things. So you might start out with wanting to do like everything and add like all the bells and whistles. And what what is good for product businesses is to get a small group of like target customers, whoever that might be. And you kind of write down all the features this bag is going to have like laptop pocket, whatever it is, um, side pocket, And then you put a price on them, a fictional price, and then you give the customer a budget, like you give them £100, but all the features add up to, you know, £180. So they can't have all the features. And it's a really good way of like, if you're having to make some decisions in terms of like, actually, I'm not going to be able to afford all these features on the bag. That's going to be out of my price range. It's too high risk, maybe down the line. It helps you narrow down which ones are actually really important to to customers. And because there's that, there's a game element to it and they can't buy them all you know, you'll be able to pick out on trends as well across people. So you'll see, actually, you might have thought that having just one water bottle pocket was the most, you know, it was good enough. But actually, you could say, you know, 60% of the people you spoke to, they put having a water bottle option both sides actually quite high up. They bought that as a feature as opposed to, and it just helps like take away your personal opinion on things and bring in some you know evidence and external data so I think for product businesses that can be with different if it's a candle it's a candle but things like bags or you know dresses in garments and stuff you know you can have pockets you can have zip so those kind of things I think it's better to use something like um, the buy a feature game which can be easy way to kind of take the brain ache of deciding okay our first a thousand pieces is going to be like this and we're confident because we spoke to x amount of people yeah, and you've made a game out of it before. You, and yes. you, you know, obviously you've had to invest in in the game, but you've not t- had to invest in any product yet until you've got some more concrete information. Yes, and I think that can be really useful because you know what we ultimately market research is not about eliminating every risk because that's that doesn't exist. Like business, business always carries a certain amount of risk, but you want to be reducing it as much as you can. You know, and I think this is why market research can be so helpful. And I think a lot of businesses feel that it's just something that you do at the beginning of the journey. Like when you're setting up, I've got a new idea. Okay, I'll do a survey, maybe speak to a few people, often the wrong people, you know, family and friends that will go, oh, yeah, great. That's a great idea. And you're like, oh, yeah, like I've got an idea here. But actually, market research is so useful throughout the journey. Like as you were saying, the example you gave there with that retailer, probably a well-established retailer, and they missed a trick there. You know, they didn't bring their customer to the journey. So, you know, it keeps you in check. However much you think you know your customer however experienced you are in your business I think it's a great reminder that things can change quite quickly and COVID I think you know taught every business that that you know around the corner so keeping you know those touch points 
on a regular basis, even if you're not thinking of creating anything new, because innovation can also happen in how your business is set out or the customer journey through your website or the fulfillment side, you know, innovation and efficiency can happen you know, beyond the product itself and make the customer experience better as a whole. So I think it can be useful for all layers. Yeah. And I think as well, what you can move too fast for your customer, because they sometimes might only be getting used to something. Mm. And then you've moved on to the next thing where you've still got longevity either in that product or like going back to that business that I worked with before that went into admin because they moved too quick for their customer a percentage of their customer was buying into those younger styles, but the others hadn't gotten on the bus yet, you know, so then the bus left without them. And, you know, it, it caused an issue for the business. So I think it's sometimes it's doing the feedback and then revisiting that, kind of going back over, checking in. It's the check-ins, I think, you know, and say, right, this is where we want to get to. Where are you now as a customer, right? Where are you now as a customer? Where are you now as a customer? We're all going, yes, we're all on the same thing. Or do we need to get more people on the bus or change the journey of the bus or whatever, you know, whatever it might be? No, I think that's a really good point because it is, um, you know, if we just think about ourselves, like, you know, we're changing, things are changing all the time. Like, you know, we think this is how I am. This is the kind of things I like. But if we actually take a good look at ourselves in terms of purchasing habits, there will be seasons where we're like, you know, we actually want to refresh the house or be more into that. And there's other times where there's a lot going on. And actually you want something really, you want processes and workflows to be really simple because you haven't got brain space to think about something else. So customers are are constantly evolving and, you know, without obviously taking the pulse every day, I think it's healthy as a business to have some kind of uh, rhythm to it, not just kind of stop, start, not like, oh, we need, we haven't done any research for six months. We need to do some research. No, like what are the researches to answer questions? You know, what are the questions that you have? Like what are the, the, the assumptions that you're making on your business for the rest of the year? And then how true are they? And can you kind of reduce that uncertainty by collecting evidence, whether that's online, data points, surveys, speaking sales. to customers, yeah. sales? You know, what is the data telling you to answer those key questions? And I think you're right in that sense. You know, you've got to don't underestimate like early adopters. Great. But you also have this big chunk of people who won't buy, you know, or have noticed there's, a, there's a, a change in these new styles of clothes and they're not ready yet. You know, so how do you how do you manage that them people as well? Otherwise, you might lose them and they'll just go somewhere else. Yeah. And you mentioned early on about surveys being a way as well to collect information what makes a good survey to to get that feedback yes so um i'll say what first of all makes a bad survey because there's plenty of those (laughs) and i think we're all as consumers like you know literally look at your inbox over the last three weeks especially january a lot of people doing them or in december we're just bombarded with surveys you know surveys are on the surface easy to set up cheap to run but actually quite dangerous if not done correctly. And also we run the risk of people just switching off, like, you know, not another survey, please. So surveys that currently tend to be too long, you know, really boring, too many open-ended questions, like having to like write a mini essay for too many questions and then you just click out. And also I think there's no connection with what actually they're going to do with it. So you get the whole spiel at the beginning. You're, we really care about your thoughts, your valued customer. Please spend five minutes telling you what you think. You fill it in and then you get nothing. You don't know what's happening. Have they made any changes? Has this been useful? And then all you get is like six months to the dot, another survey saying, we'd love to hear your opinion and your feedback. And it's like, Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah, so, what did you do with the last one? Yeah, what did you do with the last one? So um, my recommendation with surveys is, also, is always like just a few tips. First of all, why are you doing the survey? 
if you're going to spend time on any aspect of the survey, that's where you should be spending the longest is what is the purpose of the survey? What are you trying to find out with this survey? Too many surveys are trying to cover too much ground. We're asking them about maybe feedback. Then we're asking them about, you know, how they perceive our brand and maybe like two, three maximum themes in a survey. We don't want to be going like all over the place. I'd say keep them short, you know, between seven and 10 questions is from my experience, like the sweet spot, smaller to medium sized businesses. I'd say make sure that there's mostly um, closed questions. So questions that someone can answer by, you know, yes or no, or like a a multiple choice. If you're going to have some open ended questions, because they can be useful for like a springboard for other types of research pepper them through the the, the survey, but you know the, the important ones, put them towards the top, have a few easy ones to start with, then maybe one that's a bit more, you know, they need to actually write a sentence. Because people are not in the frame of mind of writing an essay when they're opening a survey. No one is opening a survey thinking, oh my God, I can't wait. I'm, I'm filling in this survey. I wish it would, I wish it would last longer. I wish they would have asked me more. No, that is not the frame of mind to so think about that when you're writing your surveys. And I think lastly, like write like a human, like I don't know about Unicorn, but sometimes I'll come across a survey where it's actually a bit more enjoyable. Like it's like tiny bit more enjoyable than the usual survey experience where there's somebody, it feels like a human has written it and it's a bit more warmer, I suppose, in the writing. I've seen so many people who are like really like warm and friendly in real life. As soon as they're writing the survey, I look at the questions and they just turn into a robot. Like instead of like, you know, where do you live? It's like, what is your location of residence? It's like, you don't have to talk like that in a survey. So, you know, be, remind yourself to be friendly and all these things, like they just come with practice. And, you know, in the book, there's a bit of a checklist where by all means, like write your survey questions, but then just go through it and just think, oh, actually, yeah, I need to maybe rewrite that one. Or actually I've got too many uh, open-ended questions. And then also like get the person filling it in a little bit, not excited, but peek behind the scenes. Like, why are you doing the survey? Like, what could you potentially get out of this? And incentives for product businesses can be useful because you can do discounts on products and things like that. So if you want to incentivize customers, a lot of people do that. I think the fill the survey in and you'll get a discount code. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that can work. I suppose if you've got smaller, um, smaller audiences, sometimes if you've got a well, like good following, like quite a loyal community, you don't always need a, an incentive. So experiment, try without, and then maybe in six months you 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 try with a with a with a discount. But I think what is quite tired now is the oh, you win two hundred fifty pounds in the prize draw. You know, like the big brands do you know, you fill in the survey and you just, you never, you never win the, I'm sure someone does, but um, it just, for me, that doesn't really incentivize me anymore, this whole prize draw. Are you ready to scale your e-commerce store? Want to do it without having to wear yet another hat and become a digital marketing expert? This episode is brought to you by Neon Digital Clicks, the paid traffic partner for family and women's e-commerce brands wanting to scale their stores from five-figure to six-figure months using Meta, Google, and Klaviyo marketing services. Neon is offering listeners a free scaling audit worth £3,000. So whether your sales have plateaued or you're looking for growth, this is a great opportunity to lift the lid on your business and identify where the opportunities are hiding. Head to scalingglow.com to discover just how much revenue you could scale your store to this year. I suppose that for people that are starting, though, that don't have a brand and can't give them the discount, they can incentivize them with a voucher for another business. But that's what they can incentivize with. There's nothing really else, I suppose. They could. There's nothing really else. And I suppose at that stage, you're kind of, you know, you're hopefully relying on 
yeah good. goodwill or like you know maybe the promise of being involved you know to kind of shape the product or you know you can kind yeah, of you can word it in a different way yeah, yeah. you incentives in a different way like and I think we always need to remember that however much we feel like we might be taking our customer or target customers time with some of these methods ultimately it is our role like otherwise what are we doing how are we deciding what we do in our business you know it can't we can't just be guessing our way you know this is money and time and you know it's our livelihoods that are on the line so I always think you kind of educating customers as you go as well that actually this is the way of doing business like we care about what you think we care about you so we're trying to understand you as much as we can so we can build and create stuff that's gonna make your life easier bring you more joy you know whatever those kind of triggers that you or the problems or that you're you're helping address so it should be seen as a collaborative approach I think brands who tap into their audience quite often they they build that actual stronger relationship because the customer actually feels part of the journey don't they yeah part of the journey vested interest and you know there's different extents that you can do this and at the back of the book Nicole I've got like three different ways like if you want to start small I've got like how often you should do a survey um, customer interviews and then I've got a middle ground where you know you want to kind of up the tempo a bit and then maybe if you've got more support you can you know go, go all in so there's different frequencies which I think is quite useful when we're starting out it's a question that I often get is how often should I be doing this stuff? So yeah, that can be useful for businesses too. And when shouldn't you listen to your customer? Yeah, so that is actually the, as you probably picked that one out, I think one of the last chapters of the book. And I think it's really important because, you know, there are times when it's just, the, you know, the numbers, I suppose, especially in product businesses, uh, Nicole, like where the numbers are just not going to add up. Like you might be selling something, it might be selling, but, you know, you've, you know, miscalculated the margins or you priced it too low or, you know, the numbers just don't add up. So I think that's one of my five reasons in the book is like, you know, just when the numbers are not adding up, like either, you know, you have to change something uh, fundamentally. And I think there's a tendency sometimes maybe for businesses that start out to be a bit cautious or maybe lack confidence in their products. So they price a bit low. And I'm sure, Nicole, you've got more experience in that field than, than me, but the rewards are just they're just too small in the end. It's either you have to be selling like a million of these, you know, a month to actually make any profit. I think the other thing is around aligning with your values. And, you know, we can get a bit wishy-washy on values these days, I think, but it is useful you know, if something doesn't sit right. I think um, one of the examples in the book is around like a makeup brand for adults, uh, women mainly. And then some of the customers, some some of the stuff coming back in the feedback in the survey was like, oh, you know, a range for, for girls for, I don't know, like 10 to 14 year olds or teenagers. Yeah. And that's an example where you might not want to listen to what your customers want there because that doesn't sit with your values. Like you don't agree that we should be um, introducing makeup as a thing to smaller girls so there's there's things like that when you are in tune with like your own values and your business values those decisions can be easier to make it's like no actually I'm not gonna go down that route so yeah. I often cite that one um, as well and then the other ones someone else is doing it much better and I think we should be doing that competitive research as well and just being honest like okay who are these other businesses doing something similar do I have a real differentiator otherwise think twice about it because you know if you've got uh, it doesn't mean there's no space for everyone else but you have to have a different slant or bring something slightly different so definitely keep a look around for competitors and then the other ones are just really like you know you might not want to do it and you haven't got the bandwidth yeah <laughs> so we can't you know 
ourselves, I'm sure, have many ideas of other things that we could be doing in our business. But when you're kind of a smaller businesses, I'd say there's only so much time in the day. There's so much bandwidth you can you can give to it. So being quite strategic about, you know, what it is that you can do and that you want to do and trying to find that sweet spot where you love what you're providing. Customers want it and it's making you money. You know, that's what we're all kind of aiming for. I suppose, ultimately. 100%. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining me. Where can people find you and how can they work with you? Yes, I have my Instagram at Product Jungle and I've also got my website, productjungle.co.uk. I have a newsletter, Nicole, which I think you're on the mailing list. I love your newsletter. I love your newsletter. Which is called Jungle Juice. And that's just, you know, I suppose it's like a friendly nudge on a Monday morning to just keep your customers front of mind for the week with some tips sometimes, sometimes some stories. And I have my book, obviously, that is available on like all the different usual platforms, depending on Z Peaches, Amazon, but also if you don't like Amazon, there's plenty of other places that you can find it. And yeah, I'm looking at some in reintroducing some of my one-to-ones in the spring. So yeah, just check out my website for, for that. Maybe. And digital products coming later this year. As yes, well. absolutely. Yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And I will be back again next week with another great guest. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Start, Scale, Succeed. If you've enjoyed today, I would love for you to leave a review and I will see you again next week. If you'd like to hear more from me, your host, Nicole Higgins, you can follow me on Instagram at The Buying Retail Coach. Check out my website, www.thebuyingretailcoach.com or find me on LinkedIn. All the links are below in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter, The Step, for lots of helpful tips and advice.